Hello, and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. I'm your host, Julia Frank, and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel to talk about the things we're not supposed to talk about. In this episode, we're going to talk all about money. And let me tell you how incredibly excited I am about this episode because my own personal financial journey started with one of Vestpod's workshops. And so it's such a treat to be able to chat with Emily, founder of Vestpod, and really dive into some of these topics in more depth. I really admire Emily, the company she has built, and absolutely love the mission behind Vestpod. This episode is exactly the thing I wish I had when I started to learn more about finance. This interview was actually recorded at the end of last year, so some of the specific numbers Emily shares may not be the exact same, but directionally the content is just as relevant today. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you that we are not certified financial advisors. The information made available in this podcast is provided for information and educational purposes only. Also, investing can be risky, so don't invest money that you can't afford to lose. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode and talk about money. Well, welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thanks so much for being on. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Of course. Hi, Julia. I'm so happy to be here today. It's uh, it's nice to see you. Uh, we've seen each other, you know, a few times over the past year. I mean, before lockdown. So, you know, good to catch up again. So my name is Emily Belle. I'm the founder of a startup called Vestpod. And we have an online platform on Vestpod.com. And my big mission is to empower women financially. So we give a lot of tips, a lot of guidance for people to start taking care of their own finances. I also wrote a book called You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, and I'm the host of the Wallet podcast, where we just talk about money. So really trying to open the conversation about money, get people to talk a lot more about money, and then, you know, very practically how you can uh, manage your finances from repaying debt, budgeting, financial goals to investing. One of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on is because my investment journey or kind of my financial journey started with with one of your workshops a while back. Before we kind of dive into that, why would you consider yourself a modern day rebel or why might someone else consider you as one? Because I think I'm following my own mission and I really want to have an impact, whatever it is on in, in the world. I used to work in corporate. I worked for nine years in, in private equity investment banking. That was great, but I was following, you know, a corporate mission. And the mission was, you know, to find businesses, invest in these businesses and return money to the shareholders. And I realized, okay, I'm not going to spend the next 10 years of my life uh, doing that. I want to, you know, make my own choices. I want to have a vision. I think it took some time for me to find, you know, what do I want to do? What am I good at? And then starting from a challenge, a personal uh, problem, then I, I started working on, you know, on Vespod and, and women and finances, doing my research. What I love today, I think for me, you know, a modern day rebel these, these days is like, you know, working from home. I have kids. I managed to see uh, my family. It's really hectic, but at least, you know, I enjoy everything that I do because I do it for my community. I do it for myself and I do it really to, you know, like see some change in the world. So what brought it all about? Kind of take us back to the starts of Vestpod and the personal challenge that you just referenced. Yeah, so I studied economics, finance, management, and then I started working for a big bank for Lehman Brothers, uh, so an American bank in London. You all heard the story of the of the bankruptcy. So I was there at the time of the bankruptcy. I was very junior, so for me it wasn't that bad. I didn't even lose my job. I managed to, you know, be part of the spin-off and work in their new investment fund. But I was in the middle of the crisis and this was actually quite tough to see people, you know, not losing their job, but more, you know, the fall down of the economy, people like losing money, not trusting the financial system anymore. And after that, after spending yeah eight years in private equity, I decided, okay, I want to do something else. I started a first business, so I quit my job. That took me quite a while to make this, to take this decision because you lose financial security. I was in, a, you know, I was it was a great job. Like you know, I mean, these industries like finance, investment making, private equity, they were very on demand, I mean, and still today. So a lot of graduates want to start their careers working in these industries. Great exposure, amazing challenges. But I thought, yeah, you know, I just want to do something different. So I quit, launched a tech startup, a few guys, we raised some money. 
that didn't work after a year and a half. So that was like, you know, from being a banker, earning money and everything to being back to zero, pregnant with my first child. And I thought, okay, oh my God, that's like a massive failure. What do I do now? So after a few weeks where I was really struggling to find, you know, what next can I actually do? Going back to my years in, in banking, I realized, okay, I was earning a good salary and I wasn't actually investing my money. So I was investing for work. We were looking at companies uh, in the public market and also private companies. But then I didn't have a pension for like, you know, years, maybe five, six years, which is ridiculous, especially when you work in finance. But it's actually not because you work in finance that you know anything about your own personal finances. We never learn about that. We don't talk about money. So where do you actually start? And at some point I had a meeting with a financial advisor who asked me, where is your husband? So that was extremely frustrating. Again, I mean, it's not like, you know, general assumption that, you know, advisors would, would be like that, but I think it was a pretty bad encounter. And I decided, okay, I really need to do something because also, I mean, most of my friends don't actually work in finance. They don't have a banking salary. I was then an entrepreneur where I was earning like a very low salary. So how do you actually get started? Where do you start? Where do you stand? How do you, I mean, maybe budgeting in theory is easy to understand, but how do you apply it to your own finances? And there's this whole like money mindset around it, thinking, you know, I deserve the money I'm earning. I can maybe earn more. I understand where my money is going. I understand where I spend money. So that was like my personal journey. And then I started reading, you know, the statistics. And when you read that women retire with 20% pension savings of men, uh, this is really like the, the alert. And like, we have to get started. We have to think about our own finances. We have to start earlier. But no one is actually doing this job of educating people. That's why I created Vespod really as a really basic newsletter talking about money, but in a different way. So making it friendly, empowering, uh, without the jargon and talking very openly about, about all these like money topics. And then we started doing courses and, and you attended one of these. We do events, conferences, uh, we have a podcast. So really trying to use like all the medias and, and, and try to reach uh, rich women and talk to them in like, you know, plain English and, and not using any jargon. I think that's what drew me to Vestpod in the first place, because I remember I was like, oh, it's too complicated. I, you know, I'm, I'm bad with money. I had all these kind of uh, myths that I had around, well, I don't have the time for it to kind of learn all of it. So Vestpod is really about, or one of the aspects of Vestpod is really about democratizing financial services. With that, what exactly is the gender investment gap and where does it kind of come from? Which I know is a very big question, but what are some of the things that contribute to it? Yeah, so the, the gender investing gap means that uh, women don't invest as much as men. The reality is that even men don't invest a lot. Uh, I think there's only 10% of women investing money. Now, uh, with the workplace pension, so everyone who has an employee uh, has a pension. This is now mandatory. And if you have a pension, you are an investor. So over the past few years, actually, a lot more people have been investing money without necessarily realizing it because it's in their pension and they never look at it and, and pensions are can be a bit complicated to not to, to understand, but to dive into your pension, look at your investments and the communications from your pension provider are not necessarily going to be very clear. If you have a pension, you're an investor. So that's a really good start. Now, if you look more broadly at, you know, why we get to uh, women having very small pension, one of the reasons is going to be the investing gap, but there's also other reasons. So when you we start working, maybe, you know, 25 years old, men and women tend to have the same salary. But after a few years, there's the gender pay gap kicking in. So we start earning uh, less money than men. And obviously, if you earn less money, there's less money to be saved and also invested for the future. And then women are still the primary carers for their families. So it's not only children, but also elderly parents and maybe communities. So they would tend to, you know, take more time off from work or work part time. And especially at the moment with the pandemic, I see it's mostly women actually 
staying at home, taking care of the children. So stepping back a little bit from work. So that's going to have an impact long term, potentially on, you know, any promotions they can get or maybe the number of hours they work. And also some sectors are going to be, you know, more impacted. And these are going to be the sectors where there's more women. So again, that's an impact. And, and one of the factors is called the motherhood penalty. So mothers would take a break from work because the money you start saving and investing in your 30s, 20s to 30s, if you invest this money for like 30 years, because it's going to compound, actually, the, the, the opportunity cost of not investing this money, it's going to be huge at the end of your life. So that's going to create a massive gap in terms of, you know, investment pots, and that can be pension, that can be anything else. And the last reason uh, of this gender pension gap is actually investing uh, men tend to take more risk with their investment. Uh, they will go in the stock market and women tend to be a bit more cautious and tend to keep uh, most of their money in cash, in cashiza. But if you go and I invite you all to look at, you know, the interest rate you're getting on your savings at the moment, you're not going to believe it, but it's extremely low between zero and one percent. Um, the Bank of England is even talking about negative interest rates. So what are we doing with our savings? I mean, keeping money in cash for like 20 years, 30 years almost doesn't make sense. So you need to make, we call it like make your money work for you if, if that makes sense, but it's just not leaving it on a, on a cash saving account. So we can talk about, you know, what should you do before you actually invest your money? But basically that, that's it. Like the, 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 the number of stocks and share ISA opened by women is quite low. Women tend to keep their money in cash. So looking at investing and considering investing for your long-term goals is actually really important. I think investing is an interesting topic overall because I, I took an intro to economics class in college and we learned about compound interest, but that did not, and similar to your background, right, working in finance did not translate into knowing how to invest and, and manage your money. So with investment, you know, one of the things you say, it, it's not complicated, it doesn't have to be complicated. What exactly is investing and why is it so important? Why does compound interest really work when we look at it? Yeah. So I mean, explaining investing in, in, you know, a few minutes is tricky if, if you ask me, you know, how do I get started? But hopefully, you know, we'll try to, to break it down so it's also easier to understand. So I think, first of all, when you manage to save money, so investing and savings are usually for you once you've repaid your expensive debt. If you have a credit card uh, and you're still struggling to repay like your monthly interest and, and like your monthly balance, maybe you should tackle this first because credit cards or payday loans or overdrafts are extremely expensive. You can end up paying, you know, 19 to 20% APR, maybe that's the interest rate. You're not going to get this type of returns in the stock market. You're not going to get this interest on your saving account. So really make sure you tackle this pensive debt first. And if you're struggling with that, there's lots of debt charities such as Step Change, uh, where you can, you know, anonymously talk to an advisor there and they can help you put in place some plans, make sure you talk to your bank, you talk to your credit provider. So this is really like the, the first step. Once you have this, it's really good to have cash savings. So of course, interest rates are really crap on, on any cash you save, but actually you need to have a cash buffer somewhere. Uh, we call this an emergency fund or rainy day fund. And advisors tell you that you need three to six months of living expenses in cash. That seems like a lot of money, but can you start somewhere? Can you start saving maybe, you know, a thousand pound or whatever you think is necessary? I mean, especially during these challenging times, uh, you know, who knows if you if you are on furlough, okay, you lose 20% of your income. But what if you actually lose your job? Maybe at the moment it's going to be harder to, you know, find a new job. Usually the the the, the market in the UK is, it, it should be easy to, to find a job. But at the moment, I don't think it's it necessarily the case. So it can take a few months. So make sure you have enough to pay for your essentials, like pay for, you know, your rent, your living expenses. So have a few months uh, in a cash buffer. And this money should be accessible really, really anytime. You should be able to take it out for, you know, for any emergency. And if you start taking money out, make sure once you earn money again that you can put it back in your, in your emergency savings. So these are like the first two prerequisites, uh, expensive debt and um, an emergency saving. Before we dive into the next thing, can yes. we just distinguish what, what you mean by expensive debt versus, I guess, quote unquote, good debt? Yeah, of course. So it's a good question. I distinguish between good debt and, and bad debt. So for me, good debt can be your mortgage, for example, or student loans. 
this tend to be a lower rate debt, so this should be less expensive. So it doesn't mean that, you know, if you're not very comfortable with having debt, you shouldn't repay these debts first. This is going to be a very personal decision. But again, you should really look at, you know, how much is this debt costing me? What's the interest rates versus the interest rates I could get on savings, which is going to be low at the moment, but also on investing for the long term. So how I usually do it is I try to look at then my financial goals uh, and decide, okay, what do I want to achieve in the short term? And maybe debt repayment uh, is going to be one of your goals. And that can be debt repayment for your expensive debt. And that should be your top priority. And then you can decide if, you know, you want also to repay some of your mortgage or, you know, some of your student loans. But I don't think that should be the priority for, for everyone. And so kind of once you're in a place where, you know, okay, we've got a little bit of cash savings, expensive debts have been been paid off. How do we get started in investing or where do we start when it does feel quite daunting and the language can be quite complicated? Yeah. So how do you start investing? That's a very broad question. I think the first thing you need to understand is that investing should be for the long term. Uh, so to, to the, for the medium to long term, uh, the longer you're going to leave your money. I mean, today we, we're talking about investing in the stock market. So we can talk about what is the stock market. The longer you leave your money, the higher will be your return. That's going to be one way to also protect your, your return. So you want to invest for at least five to 10 years and you want to invest for, for retirement, uh, for sure, because, you know, if you're in your 30s, you have like 60 years or more. So this money is going to be better, maybe invested in, in a few things. Then how do you start? The first thing is thinking about some tax efficient products. So if you have a pension, again, you uh, are an investor. How do pension work? If you have an employer, every month you're going to do a salary sacrifice. So a part of your salary is going to go directly into a pension pot. Uh, the government will pay you back the taxes on this amount of money and your employer will top up your pension. So that's almost like free money. So before opting out of your pension scheme, just make sure you understand that, you know, the employer giving you money is actually on top of your salary. So that's a really good benefit. Of course, the money is going to be locked away until you retire. It's going to be invested in a, in a private pension. But make sure, you know, you understand how, how it works. Also, some employers will match your contribution. So again, this is like a salary increase. Don't leave this money on the table. So if you think you have enough to leave and you can do the salary sacrifice and you can increase your pension contribution, um, maybe you should actually do it. So this is one way to save. And another way is stocks and share ISA. So maybe you're aware of the cash ISA, the ISA are individual savings account. It's quite a big family. There's a few different ISA. The cash ISA is used to keep your savings in cash. Uh, so that's like saving money. And that's going to be different from investing money. And when you invest money, you're going to use a stocks and share ISA. And stocks and share ISA is like this little wrapper, this little vehicle. And with the money you put in a stocks and share ISA, then you will be able to go and buy some funds, buy some shares, you know, buy whatever you want with it. If you are self-employed, uh, you're not going to have a, a workplace pension. So you should look into having private pension. Uh, one of the private pension is called a SIP. Sorry for the for the dragon, but it's a self-invested personal pension. And that allows you to also save money and invest money for retirement. And you're also going to get the tax relief. So whatever money you put into your SIP, into your private pension, the government will pay you back the taxes. So that's a tax efficient way to save. And then the same, it's a private pension under your name. You can invest it the way you want and you're going to get the money when, when you retire. Why are these vehicles tax efficient? It's because the money that grows uh, into a pension uh, or the investments that grow into a pension and that grow into a stocks and share ISA are going to be free of tax. So let's say you buy one stock for 10, you sell it for 20, you make a gain. Usually you have to pay taxes on this. It's called capital gain. You're not going to pay any of this uh, if you invest within these vehicles. And also if you receive dividends from the companies, then you, you, you're going to be exempt from, from tax. So you're thinking 
over a few years, that's not going to make a big difference. But what if this money is sitting there and you make, you know, huge gains with some, you know, tech stocks at the moment have been performing really well. Don't follow any of the recommendation. I mean, you should definitely make your own research. But if your investments are growing very fast, then you can end up with a big tax bill when you sell your investment. So that's really important to think about this, these two vehicles. So once you have this pension, you have this stocks and share ISA, you can also look at the lifetime ISA. If you're unsure, you want to use the money to buy your first property or actually use it for retirement. You need to find a place like a broker, an online platform. So you can start with potentially your bank. If you're banking, you know, with one of the big retail banks, they usually have an investment arm. So HSBC, for example, or Barclays, they will have their investing platform. So you could go there and open the ISA, open the pension and start investing the, your money. You can also use some other investing platforms such as, you know, AJ Bell, Hargreaves Lansdome. And same thing, you go on their website, you open um, your account and then you can start trading. And when you use these platforms, usually you have to choose yourself, your own investments. So you have to choose funds, you have to choose stocks, uh, and we, I, I can define all these terms for you. But one way to get started investing very quickly is maybe to use the robo-advisors. So maybe you've heard about, about robo-advisors. They are not robo, they are not advisors. Uh, they're sort of an online model where they have an investment manager who's going to decide about like three different portfolios. And you, if you start investing with maybe, you know, 25 pound a month, you can actually get invested in the stock market. So they will take your money. They will take money from a lot of like small investors. They will put it together and then they will be able to, you know, invest in some funds for you. So you don't need to do anything. But at the same time, they don't know you personally. It's definitely not like a financial advisor, but you will be invested in the stock market. And to give you some examples on platforms, maybe you've heard about Nutmeg, Wealthify, Wealthsimple, Moneyform. There's plenty of them. So make sure, again, you check the fees. These tend to be slightly more expensive than the platforms, you know, Hargreaves Lansom, AJ Bell, because, of course, they package the investments for you. So they do a lot of the work for you and you don't need to do, to do that much. So they're a great alternative to investment platforms. And... Another one, if you're really new to investing, you don't have a lot of money and you just want to start very, very small uh, with Moneybox. Actually, I think you can start with one pound or just investing your spare change. So that's quite good. If you're really new, you're going to get started investing and understand how the market works, understand what is risk. I think with investing 20 pound a month, you don't really understand risk. <laughs> Maybe you'll need uh, a bit more money uh, to understand, you know, the volatility when, you know, how would you react when markets go up, when markets go down? Uh, do you want to sell? Do you want to, you know, keep your investment? So I think it's starting to invest slowly and when you can, you know, increase your, your contribution. And that's when you are going to have a better taste for, for risk. I think why a lot of people are actually not investing money is because they're worried about I mean, not knowing how to start, obviously, but then not knowing, you know, will I lose it all? Where is my money going to go? And I think to experience risk, the best thing is actually to, you know, get started investing. One of the things you can do also is potentially uh, build like a dummy portfolio online. So really put maybe, you know, fake 5,000 pounds, whatever, p start picking your funds, start picking your stocks and see how it evolves over time. So you can do that for a few months and see, you know, am I ready to actually get started investing uh, my own money? So I think that's also an interesting option if you're really not ready or if you're still repaying debt or building your, your, your emergency fund, then you can still, you can get a sense of how the market actually works. Yeah, it's, Something that I personally really struggled with at the beginning because there were so many funds. I didn't really, I knew that, you know, I mean, anything you invest is always capital or risk, but no. you hear, you know, investing in cryptocurrency or specific companies, or you always hear about these individual cases where they're like, well, I picked Apple and it went great. But actually what I didn't realize is that there's ETFs yep. and that it is quite obviously never really safe, but it is quite safe and you can be... I would say you can still reap the rewards of the stock market, but potentially not be as much at, at risk. So what exactly, where, where does that difference lie? 
Yeah. So when you when you invest, uh, what do you actually invest in? So we talked about funds, you talk about ETF, exchange traded funds. Basically, the stock market is a place where companies get funding and companies, they can issue shares and you as an individual investor, you can buy some shares. So basically, you give them some money in exchange for like a share title and you become a shareholder in this company. So when you have a share in Apple or whatever, you're going to be exposed to performance of the company. If the company is doing well, then the markets tend to react positively. More people want to buy the stock and then the stock price tend to go up. But some companies that are making a lot of cash, uh, they're actually paying dividends. So that's how, as an investor, you will benefit from, from the growth of, of a company. Now, if you put all your money into Apple, And I don't know, something happens to Apple tomorrow. I worked for Lehman Brothers. It was one of the biggest American bank and it just went bust. So people who own stocks uh, in Lehman actually lost everything. So when you start investing money, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and maybe not all your eggs in Apple stock. If you do it, maybe it's because you have time. You have time to do your own research. You're reading what investors think about the stock. You know the company by heart. Uh, you're a big fan. Uh, and, you know, some people do that as their full-time job, like trying to pick, pick the best stock. Uh, and it's really hard and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. So you, uh, if you have a job on the side and if it's not your job, um, you should actually diversify your investment. So instead of picking just, you know, one horse, can you actually spread your investment over different asset classes? So that can be shares, that can be bonds, cash, property, a lot of different things. Maybe crypto is like a side investment, extremely risky. It's like a super <laughs> small uh, share of your portfolio if you want to do it. Uh, because these are very volatile. Again, if you're not an expert in crypto, don't go and put all your money in crypto because I've seen people literally like losing it all. So of course, some people made money with Bitcoin, like, you know, if they bought in the early days. But if you're not an expert in crypto, maybe you shouldn't touch it or maybe you should have a very, very small part of your portfolio um, invested there or in alternative investments. So instead of buying shares, why don't you buy funds? And you mentioned ETF and ETF are index funds. And the role of this fund is really to replicate the market. So you can decide, okay, I want to invest. I don't know where to start. I want to invest in this world. Uh, you, could you could choose, for example, a global equity fund. So that's going to be just a collection of shares of a lot of companies all over the world. And basically your money is going to be invested in, in, in this and it should grow um, at the same rate as, you know, whatever the economy or, you know. So I think it's quite interesting to start um, to start with funds. These funds, these passive funds, index funds, ETF tend to be very cheap. So you can pay maybe 0.1%, 0.2% for them. And if you compare that to maybe a robo-advisor where you pay 1%, that's going to be, that can make actually a big difference on your, on your return. So if you started with robo-advisors, then you can move on and start investing your money into, into this type of index funds. Maybe you can look also at multi-assets funds. So that these are going to be funds that are going to be investing all over um, like different asset classes, companies, you know, and, and, and companies and geographies and industries. So that, again, that's quite interesting. And you're right. I think choosing funds is quite tricky because there's, you know, thousands of funds uh, in the market. So it's really making, starting to make uh, your research. You can look at the best buys funds list. Uh, this is a good place to start, but don't just look at the number one and invest in it. There's been a few scandals recently with uh, mostly like active managers who actually have a lot of, have lost a lot of money and people had invested a lot of money in these funds. So once you know, you know, I want to invest here, then do your research and look for the funds. I think for me, what's interesting is first have an opinion. So decide on, you know, where do I think there's going to be growth uh, in the world over the, com the coming five to 10 years? Some are maybe more obvious than others. I think, you know, technology, there's going to be massive changes maybe in healthcare over the next few years uh, because of COVID. You know, some, I think some sectors are, are going to grow faster than, than others. So you should really have your own opinion and start making your own research and then try to find funds that are going to match what you believe in. And it can be, you know, ethical investing, sustainable investing. I've, I've invested in a few funds there because 
I believe this is the future and I want to make sure my money goes to, you know, into things that, you know, are going to be good for the planet or, you know, whatever you want to, to invest in. I think one thing to understand is we are usually quite shy when it comes to invested if we've never invested before. But actually, when you're an investor, first of all, it's your money. So you decide where you want your money to go. But also, if you work with this investment platform, with you, you work with your bank, you are the client. So make sure you, you remember that and, and be really in this position where you're like, OK, this is what I think. This is where I want my money to go. And you should help me actually achieve, uh, achieve this. And then you can look at your returns. You can look at the fees and all the, the practicalities of investing. But I think having this investment strategy is also going to be really important. Yeah, and it's also something where again, kind of speaking from from personal experience, where I just kind of felt like, oh, you know, investing is something I'll, I'll think about later. I personally don't have the time to constantly be in tune with the news and other things that could affect the, the market. And actually, that is one of the, or at least the way that I see it is one of the big myths that, you know, you have to be active every single day. You need to kind of try to figure out how to outperform the market. So why is that so, why is that kind of myth so wrong? Yeah, there's so many myths around investing is really frustrating. But as you say, like, you know, you're thinking investing is this thing a bit like the Wolf of Wall Street, maybe where you see like men in suits and like in the on the trading floor every day buying and selling. But investing shouldn't be like that for you if you're not like a professional investor. I mean, it's you're going to be at home. Uh, you're going to be building your portfolio once. So maybe this is going to take you a bit of time doing your research. But then you should leave your investment alone. Uh, we had a funny quote on, on, on our Instagram. It's like, don't touch your face and don't touch your investments. I thought that was, that was quite I funny. That. I love that. Um, because investing should be boring. You know, you, you shouldn't be looking at your phone and your investments every day. I used to be this type of investor. So when I started off, uh, because my experience was buying companies, working in private equity, I actually built my first portfolio, I remember, with like five stocks. So that's not diversified at all. You shouldn't do it. But I thought, okay, these are companies I buy from, that I like. So in terms of having an opinion, I think it was it was maybe quite good. But then I didn't have time to look at, you know, everything about these companies, manage my portfolio every day. Uh, so I had these five stocks on my, and they were on Yahoo Finance, on my phone. And every day I was checking, like, is it up? Is it down? And I was trying to really buy at the lowest and sell at the highest to try to make a profit. But when you trade like small amounts, each time you buy a share, so trading is buying and then selling. Each time you buy, each time you sell, you actually pay a fee. And this can be like £10 each time. So that's becoming very expensive. So maybe you make money on your investments, but actually you pay a lot in fees. And then one of my stock uh, really went down and it lost like 20, 30%. I decided to sell. So that was a big hit on my portfolio. And that's when I moved to something uh, a bit more diversified, like funds. But I still have in my portfolio, like some stocks that I that I really like, but m like less than a handful. And I really follow these guys and I know what they're doing. I know what the management is doing. And I, I find it really interesting. But yeah, there's all this misconception. So you definitely shouldn't trade every day your portfolio. Investing should be really boring. It's for the long term. You Maybe you should actually delete your investing app from your phone and check your investments every quarter or every six months. Maybe you've changed your opinion about some sectors and maybe it's time that you, know, you should review your investments. But otherwise... If you still believe in the same thing, you know, why, why would you, would you change your mind? So don't only look at, at the returns, but really like try to think um, long term. And it's really interesting. There's been a, a study that is showing how women invest versus men. And women tend to return higher uh, percentage on their investments. And one of the reasons is that because they trade less often. So they tend to do more due diligence before investing. And then they leave their portfolio uh, for the long term. And that's really, really helping with, um, with the returns. So, yeah, investing is definitely not like being a, a day trader and trying to buy low and, and, and sell high. But being in the market is really important. So being in the market means being invested and you talked about, you know, procrastinating on your investment and thinking, yeah, I'll do it next year. But actually, 
every year you're actually losing out by not investing your money and not benefiting from interest compounding. So it's better actually to start small and start earlier. And if you're, you know, first job, whatever you can save and invest, even if it's five pound, 20 pound, this will grow very fast over like, you know, 40 years because time will help with, you know, compound interest and your return. So we said time in the market is better than timing the market and timing the market means yeah being this crazy person uh, <laughs> you know trying to to buy at a good price and sell sell at a good price and i think that's that's a really good uh, that's a really good lesson it's something that i kind of started to realize was the whole idea of time in the market because to me again investing was something where i was like oh you know as i mentioned i'll do it later but also i was like oh it's it's a nice added thing right it's a nice added i guess not directly income, but but a yeah. way to grow money and make money work for me. But what I didn't realize is the opportunity cost of not being in the market and the the cost of having everything just in in cash or in, in, you know, in a savings account that doesn't have any interest. So when you talk about it's really important just starting to get invested, even if you don't have a lot of money to put aside monthly, how does the stock market work in accumulating over time over the, the long run? Yeah, so if you look at the, I mean, historical returns of the stock market versus historical returns on cash, um, returns from the stock markets are going to be higher depending on what market you look at. And of course, you need to adjust for inflation, but you can look at maybe 8% uh, historical returns. So... Of course, historical returns are not going to be an indication of future returns. So if you see that a stock has been doing really well, uh, it doesn't mean that you know they, it will do well in the future. But basically, the stock market is composed of businesses, of companies, and these companies are growing. I mean, the economy is growing. I mean, we'll see a few years that are quite tricky, but in the end, your money should grow. So even if you invest in the stock market and you pick like a very basic, like I, as I was saying, I mean, maybe like a global equity fund or something like that, you're going to be exposed to the stock market. And over the long time, you should be a winner. Obviously, there's there's no guarantee. But if you look at, you know, the interest rates um, you're having on your cash savings, this is just uh, ridiculous. So you need to think about another strategy for, for your long-term investments. And yeah, compound interest works for you. So, you know, these companies can pay you some income, the prices are going up, they tend to also reinvest. So, you know, this money will grow actually faster than just leaving it on a cash cash saving uh, account. You can look at compound interest calculators online and I can send you one if you want and you'll see how your money can compound a lot faster uh, when you go in the, in the stock market. And also, I guess, inflation was something I didn't really know enough about, I, you, you know, you hear these terminologies, but actually what I didn't realize is that by leaving something, you're not only gaining no interest, but you're also kind of the rate of, an, the what is it? You're, you're, you should correct me here, but the rate of inflation is higher than your uh, interest rates that you're receiving on your, on your cash savings. Yeah, yeah, that's typically. right. Uh, I mean, you see inflation at the moment is not really high, but it was in the past, it could be in the future. And if you look at the real inflation, so the inflation is published, I mean, you can go on the Bank of England, you can understand, you know, what is inflation, this is this is the, you know, increase in the price of goods and services in the economy. You want your money to, you know, keep with inflation, at the very least. And that's why, you know, if your money is on a cash account at 0.5% or, or actually maybe almost like 0% at the moment, it's not keeping up with, with inflation. I also didn't realize that there's negative interest. <laughs> so there's so the Bank of England is talking about negative interest. They really want to stimulate the economy. So basically, they, I think they started a conversation with, with banks and they're like, are you ready for negative interest rates? So the day they decide interest rates are going to be negative, I think the, the rate at the moment is 0.1%. So when the rate uh, is actually uh, negative, banks will have to pay the Bank of England to keep their deposits. 
So that means you as a saver will uh, see the impact on that. So maybe they'll pay you 0%, but if they start paying the Bank of England, then they will start charging you to hold your savings. And this uh, will basically force people to lend money because then that should be also much cheaper. Then people should consume more and then that should restart the economy. In theory, that's that's how it works. So we should be prepared for, yeah, potentially like 0% rate on, on our savings and potentially like negative interest rate. And the last thing before we kind of wrap things up, I want to talk about reshaping the financial world together, as you put it. And money is such a big taboo, which is what you're trying trying to tackle to break that taboo. It's also a very emotional topic, right? There's a lot of shame tied into it. There's a lot of, oh, I, or at least for me, there was a lot of, oh, I should, you know, I shouldn't have to ask these questions. I should know more. But in reality, the first person that ever talked to me about finances really was a Bank of America credit yeah. card salesperson. And obviously his intentions were not aligned with my best intentions. And so when it comes to starting the conversation around money, what are some of the questions that we can ask ourselves or each other to start kind of testing the waters and becoming more financially empowered as as a whole? Yeah, no, that's a really, really important point. So a lot of the decisions you're going to make in relation to your finances, managing your finances, are going to come from beliefs around money, uh, your money mindset. And I think maybe, you know, 80% of the decisions will be driven by this more than knowledge or practical decisions, because in the end, we never, again, we never learn about money. So we don't know, you know, what's a good financial decision in the end. And I think one way is to really understand how you feel about money. So doing a little bit of work on your money mindset, where do you come from? We start acquiring financial habits as young as three to seven years old. And at seven, these habits are set in stone. So try to remember how money was perceived at home or do you have a lot of money? Maybe you didn't have a lot of money, the way your parents were talking about money, handling money, because this can have a massive impact on the way you manage your finances today. If you think money was scarce, maybe you're worried about spending money and you want to keep all your money for yourself in cash. So you're sure, you know, you're not going to lose it. And other people may actually spend all this money because they think it can't physically stay on a bank account, it will just go somewhere. So I think doing your work on your money mindset is important. So really do it for you. And then opening up the conversation about money. Uh, you talked about, you know, this conversation with your your bank selling you, or like giving you a credit card. I had the same experience in London. I worked um, when I was working in banking. Before even giving you a debit card, they give you a credit card. And I was just using it. And I was like, yeah, it's fun. And I gain points and stuff. What they don't tell you is that you should set up a direct debit at the end of the month and make sure you repay in full every month. Otherwise, it can become very tricky. So because we don't have, I feel, this level of education and we, you know, we may not have like a super healthy like money mindset. I think it's a journey that we need to work on. The banks are just there and they're just selling you products and they're making money from their products and banks make money from credit. So they make money from, you know, lending you money. So in a way for them, it's better maybe if you don't know <laughs> about all these things, uh, because otherwise maybe we wouldn't have a credit card. I see now there's these new like buy now, pay later schemes. Um, there's a big company. I'm not not going to tell their name because their PR is going to jump on me. <laughs> but basically, I don't think it's healthy to tell people you can buy something now and you can pay me in three months. Maybe if this is something like you really need to leave, that's good because it's helpful. But I think most of the time uh, they work with like online retailers, clothes, and you really need something. And, and I think that forces like impulse spending, buying things that you actually don't need, that will force you to sort of keep up with, you know, this like social world and Instagram and, and buy more. So I don't think that's healthy. So there's a lot of regulation, but I think we need more regulation so in the you know financial market, especially for this type of, of products around credits or short-term credit, credit cards, uh, buy now, pay later schemes. And I really hope the industry will do more to educate their clients and empower their clients because I don't think that's the case um, at the moment. Yeah, I definitely personally also, without realizing it, got into credit card debt, which sounds so silly because of course what you're doing is is borrowing, but... I didn't really question it. Yeah. And so I think stepping out of that kind of sense of shame is we, how are we supposed to know any better if we're not taught about these things um, and really just moving on and, and trying to figure out, okay, how can we financially empower each other? Because yeah. 
it is such a shame that money is also not something we really talk about. We don't talk about salaries. We don't really, you know, it's it's kind of not seen as as appropriate. And with that, you also kind of talk about women making more money. So it's not only about decreasing the investment gap, but also making more money. And when we talk about that, what exactly are you referring to? Yeah. So I think, I mean, building wealth is is a process. It's a journey. And, and in the end, how you build wealth is quite simple, is how much money you earn uh, minus how much money you spend. And then you keep whatever's left at the beginning of the month or the end of the month, depending on how you, how you save. And this money, these savings, you're going to try to work on them to make them grow because you can't just leave them here. So we talked about a little bit about spending. We talked about savings. But what about your income? And your income is just going to be the number one variable. And, you know, there's still the gender pay gap. So there's a few reasons uh, why it, it exists. I think it's also structural. But women, we need to go and ask for more. This is really important. And I was the first one not to negotiate my salary. And then I started working freelance and I had to negotiate my own rates. And that's what I do today. Uh, but this is really hard to ask for more because it's really attached to the value uh, you put on yourself. But actually, the money you earn is not your self-worth. So very often we tend to look at, you know, our salary, our bank account and try to you know, compare ourselves with others thinking, okay, I'm poor, maybe I'm not as valuable as someone who has a lot of money. Um, this is really not the case. But again, that comes back to like money mindset and being comfortable, like, you know, talking about money and understanding like, you know, where you come from and your beliefs about money. So yeah, I think women should definitely ask for more. If you if you if you're employed somewhere, you should go and negotiate your salary every year. Write down your achievements on a you know weekly basis. At the end of the week, maybe you sit down, you write you know what I've what I haven't been working on, how good uh, I'm at, what you know what are my accomplishments, and then when you go and sit down with your boss, then you know you have a long list. You can do your summary, but you're really in a strong position to to ask for more money. And I think if you're a freelancer. If your business owner is the same thing. I think you need to reevaluate your, your services because, you know, you're spending more time, you're becoming an expert and this has a price. Now it's difficult if you never talk about money. So maybe you should also start having conversation about money with, you know, maybe your friends, maybe community of people you don't necessarily know. I know we do that during Vespot events. You don't really know anyone at the beginning and you can just openly talk about money and people would respect that and would love that actually with your partner that's sort of mandatory but it's like step by step uh, starting these like conversations and also with yeah like children people around you maybe you know colleagues why not but really having someone to to start this money conversation i think is a, is a really good starting point to be able to talk about money in something that's more fluent and then be able to ask for more money for for yourself I'm actually interested in that. And maybe this is a little bit of a personal question, but with your with your kids, as you mentioned, we have money mindsets that kind of get manifested at a younger age. Has all of this really changed the the way that you talk to your kids about money? Yeah, I think we talk about it. I think what I had at home was we would never talk about it. And when you would bring the subject of money, it was always seen as something impolite. And, you know, yeah, you know, you sh we shouldn't talk about money. So I think here, if they ask me a question, I'll answer. We talk about, yeah, you know, where we spend our money, where we're not going to spend our money. If maybe some of their friends are getting, you know, a lot of gifts and stuff, maybe we don't at home. And, you know, you think you should deserve it or you should wait for your birthday and stuff like that. They're too young to have pocket money. But I think pocket money is a great way to actually teach them how to manage small sums of money. They will look big for them, actually, because they will be able to purchase some things. And then as they grow older, I think one thing you can do is give them these like, small cards called Go Henry, and they can also manage their own finances for themselves. And, and also, I think, you know, education at school would be really interesting, like even very simple, like having a few coins, like playing about money, talking about money and not thinking it's like a, you know, a dirty subject or something that's only for, for mom and dad. So I think trying to be a lot more open about it um, is really helpful. Amazing. To wrap things up, I like to ask five questions. The first being, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? So 
as you can see, quite, quite a few <laughs> books. Um, no, sorry. Let's, Emily's let's sitting in front that. of a full <laughs> bookshelf. <laughs> so, yeah, I think books, I, I love books. I love business books. Maybe one that I really enjoyed recently is called uh, The Business Romantic. It's quite a cool book because it gave me a very different perspective for Vespod because I'm sitting here talking about money and financial services and it all sounds very boring. And I wanted to build a completely new business with a new vision. So the business romantic is quite a cool book if you want to, you know, think differently about business and, uh, you know, be more creative and, and just like question everything in business. How you learned about business is actually maybe not the way you should do business. So I really love this book. It's by Tim Leberest, I think. Yeah. Amazing. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. And what are your sources of strength and inspiration? Inspiration for me is other founders, startup founders, I would say mostly women <laughs> uh, who build, you know, communities, build businesses. Uh, they can be uh, on their own uh, at home uh, and doing other things at the same time. And they can be, you know, um, CEOs of, of bigger companies in the US. But so on the very different scales, but yeah, mostly like female founders and strength and energy, I'd say from my kids, my family, I have three young kids. Uh, so it's pretty full on, but also, you know, you wake up and yeah, they make you happy. Like, you know, first thing in the morning is quite cool. Amazing. What is your secret to success? I think that's something I understand. I understood quite recently over the past few years and it's resilience. So yeah, really keep going, <laughs> keep going. And then, yeah, this is maybe the key to success. Maybe not, but at least, you know, you're having fun, you're building something and yeah, you'll end up somewhere, somewhere quite cool. And following on from that, what is your definition of success? enjoying the, um, the journey. So it sounds quite basic, but, you know, you it's, it's good to understand how that works. So it's just waking up every day and understand and knowing that you're going to do, you know, whatever you want today and whatever is going to make an impact uh, and not wait next week or next year or in the next five years or 10 years to reach success because what is success? I mean, for me, success today is being able to see my family, seeing my kids, being, you know, financially secure, having my my home and being able to work on projects that I love. So I think being very grateful and enjoying, uh, enjoying the process and trusting the process. And lastly, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently? It's okay to fail. And until you actually experience failure, you don't, I think you don't really understand because you don't want to fail. Even if today you tell me, you know, do you want to fail? I don't want to fail, but actually I learned so much from, from failure. So, you know, closing my first business, uh, it was really awful, but you know, so many like great lessons and the way you think about business. And I think I take a lot more risks now and, you know, I, I don't fear a lot of things now just because I think I had this, uh, this experience in the past. Wonderful. And if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, of course. Uh, you can uh, visit vestpod.com. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter where I just share, you know, whatever I read uh, about finance. Uh, you can go on Instagram at Vestpod. My book is called You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich. And finally, my podcast is called The Wallet. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Julia. If this is your first time listening to the Modern Day Rebels podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It's free and means you will receive new episodes right as they come out. Please do share episodes you love and that inspire you with your friends, family, and colleagues because the only way to tackle taboos is to talk more about the things we're not supposed to talk about. If you want to take a deeper dive into the topics we explore and talk about in this podcast, you can subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter. The link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and spending time with me. I truly appreciate it. Hope you're staying safe and see you next time.